Planned Parenthood was recently caught accepting donations earmarked specifically for aborting black babies. We'll air the tape and discuss this travesty. We'll hear U.S. General David Petraeus' comments on Capitol Hill about the troop surge. And we'll discuss whether and how God speaks to his people. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. I'm thinking, sweet you know, good old America, it's fantastic when we exercise our freedoms and we got there and voice our opinions. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I am Penna Dexter, and that was California school teacher Eric Burke. Uh, he will carry the Olympic torch for a portion of its U.S. run, that is, if it happens. He was asked about the protests that have greed, uh, greeted the torch. He says he thinks that it is actually fitting that uh, protests should accompany it. Of course, China is getting a showcase for itself by having the Beijing Olympics this summer, but they can't control what goes on out of the country, and uh, we have seen these protests. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday, Of course, we uh, mentioned that uh, Olympic organizers had to cancel the final leg of the Paris run after demonstrators scaled the Eiffel Tower and uh, they forced security officials to, they grabbed the flame and then they forced the officials to repeatedly snuff out the torch and transport it by bus. Of course, China condemning this and uh, International Olympic Committee member Kevin Gosper said that in uh, Beijing, he is actually saddened by these protests. What we get concerned with is that people take advantage of a democratic environment to abuse good order and take it out on the Olympic torch. Of course, the message being sent is against the uh, Beijing crackdown in Tibet and uh, folks saying that Beijing needs to open up a dialogue with Tibet. Presidential candidate Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton said on CBS The Early Show that President Bush should pressure China to change its tactics in Tibet. President Bush should uh, decide not to attend the opening ceremonies unless and until the Chinese do what uh, the world is calling for them, which is uh, to end the oppression in Tibet. It's interesting. uh, German media commentators are saying that these protests prove that sport and politics cannot be kept a part of a country with a human rights record as controversial as China tries to hijack a sporting event for propaganda purposes, which is something they've done. A friend of mine is actually going to China soon to teach parenting, but uh, she has learned in preparation for her trip that uh, Christian uh, expression is being squelched in and around uh, any of the Olympic events, which is quite interesting, although I'm sure there are Christian ministries uh, going there and planning on sharing the gospel. 
Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to hear from you. We want to know what you think about this. If the Olympic torch came to Dallas this time, would you protest? Would you go see it in support? How would you handle that? And what do you think President Bush should do? Should he go to uh, this torch ceremony? Uh, Give us a call, 800-881-9270. We'd love to know what you would do if the Olympic torch came to Dallas. Would you be supportive or would you be uh, protesting this or uh, does it even matter to you? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Barack Obama is not talking about this on the campaign trail, but black women are aborting their babies at a much greater rate than white women. And uh, the question that we're going to uh, discuss today is, is Planned Parenthood intentionally helping that to happen? Our guest, Day Gardner, says it is. And uh, there's some proof out there, and uh, we will air that for you. Also, how does God uh, talk to believers? Certainly, he does so through his word. Uh, He also does so through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But does God go beyond that? How does God speak to people? Should you be having a more uh, outward conversation with God? Our guest, John Eldridge, says yes, and uh, we will talk with him a little bit later in the program. Denny Burke will join me. Well, we've already got some calls coming in on the issue of the Olympic torch. Bob is in Terrell. Bob, thanks for calling. Hey, Penny. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see President Bush do one thing that nobody's ever, uh, that's not mentioned yet. I'd like to see him get all the allied nations that are with us in uh, NATO and everything and say to China, we're not going to, we and the other countries are not going to be at the uh, Olympics for, for one reason. You always side with uh, Russia and the UN and uh, you'd always vote for uh, with Russia. And you uh, always make it where we can't get something passed as the uh, sanctions against Iran, and uh, and uh, so you so really forth. think this should be made quite political, right? Okay, Bob. Thanks and for I, calling. And also about the Christianity, also. Yeah, I think that the issue here is just uh, that a country that uh, gets to have the Olympics but has this oppressive human rights record and uh, the squelching of dissent in the country, the squelching of free speech and the control of the internet, all these things make it problematic. And of course, many people spoke out back when uh, this was given to the Olympics, uh, to the Beijing government to have the Olympics there this summer. It's happening. Uh, And of course, in China, you can't really protest it, but they can't control what goes on in these other venues around the world. Uh, uh, Pamela is in Coleman. Pamela, thank you so much for calling. What's your view? Well, I think he should go. The Olympics were originally, you know, when they had them back at the beginning, they set all their differences aside and they let the athletes compete. And this is, you're punishing the athletes. It's not their fault. And, you know, I think he should go to this. I, you know, I don't agree with what they're doing to the Tibetans uh, or, or their other human rights issues, but I think in this instance we should put politics aside and do what they've always done and, and support them. Thank you, Pam. You know, the idea is not to punish the athletes, uh, not to stop the actual Olympics. It's these torch ceremonies, and uh, this doesn't really punish the athletes, although it does dampen the enthusiasm, I suppose. But in a sense, uh, it's the only way that people have the opportunity to speak out uh, against the Chinese government and their practices and tactics. Ray is in Dallas. Ray, thanks for calling. Thank you. You know, we didn't just find out all of a sudden that there uh, were uh, this kind of oppression in China, and yet the Olympic Committee went ahead 
and gave them the Olympics. Right. And just for a, the head of a state not to go, it's not going to really affect them. The only thing I think that would affect China would be monetary. And that may be that if the people who think this is so badly, let the athletes go ahead and go and participate. But all the people could stay at home and not put the monies in their coffers. Right, and I think that would hurt the athletes, though, in a sense. They wouldn't have uh, spectators. They wouldn't have the excitement. Uh, the conservative newspaper in uh, Germany writes, the games this year have already produced a new Olympic discipline, torch extinguishing. Torch extinguishing is a sign of, pro- it's a protest against the Beijing government's squelching of uh, various freedoms and uh, in a sense, I think it's a good uh, form of speech, and it doesn't do the damage uh, that stopping the Olympics would do. Thank you so much for your call, Ray. We appreciate it. Well, also in the news uh, today, uh, the Iraq general, the top U.S. commander in Iraq, David Petraeus, testified on Capitol Hill. And uh, before this happened, this morning on the Today Show, Barack Obama was interviewed. And, of course, this is his opinion. I've been very consistent in saying that we are going to set a timetable and we will have a prudent pace of withdrawal, one to two brigades per month. At that pace, we can have combat troops out uh, within approximately 16 months. Well, the top U.S. commander, as I said, General David Petraeus, testified before two committees. He actually was heard by all three presidential candidates because uh, they are all on the various committees, the Foreign Relations Committee and the Armed Services Committee. And he said that there should be a pause in the drawdown. Of course, all the surge troops will be drawn down by July. Uh, but then there should be a pause, he says, until uh, it can be considered and really to see how this is working and how the security plays out. Here is General Petraeus. Upon the withdrawal of the last surge brigade combat team in July, we undertake a 45-day period of consolidation and evaluation. At the end of that period, we will commence a process of assessment to examine the conditions on the ground and over time determine when we can make recommendations for further reductions. Of course, this is an open-ended type of suspension, about a 45-day period to make this consideration. And ladies and gentlemen, we are still taking your calls on the issue of the Olympic torch. Uh, Would you protest it if it came to Dallas? The number is 800-881-9270. But General, uh, General Petraeus said that this pause that he's talking about in the drawdown gives commanders a chance to really decide the next move. This approach does not allow establishment of a set withdrawal timetable. However, it does provide the flexibility those of us on the ground need to preserve the still fragile security gains our troopers have fought so hard and sacrificed so much to achieve. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we would uh, love to hear from you on this issue also, of course, but uh, Hillary Clinton has a different opinion from uh, General Petraeus, and since she's such an expert, she says the U.S. should start bringing U.S. troops home right now. I think it's time to begin an orderly process of withdrawing our troops, start rebuilding our military, and focusing on the challenges posed by Afghanistan, the global terrorist groups, and other problems that confront America. There have been uh, so many reports lately, and I've uh, been reading these editorials in the Wall Street Journal today, the Petraeus Effect, which says the surge's success makes a political victory in Iraq possible. Of course, the political victory is what the Democrats have been demanding. Joe Lieberman, a Democrat, uh, and Lindsey Graham, both senators, wrote yesterday a piece about Iraq and its costs. And yes, there are costs, but now uh, there are so many advances and successes that uh, we're beginning to see uh, 
uh, what those costs are actually achieving for us. And uh, but uh, two candidates both Democrats, would like to uh, see us pull out and begin that process now. Well, John McCain, the other candidate, uh, says that he's basically the ranking Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee. He believes American troops will come home before many people believe, but he says victory has to come first. I believe we can achieve that goal perhaps sooner than many imagine. But I also believe that the promise of withdrawal of our forces, regardless of the consequences, would constitute a failure of political and moral leadership. Well, I'll leave that right there, ladies and gentlemen. We're going back to the phones uh, to speak with Neil in Fort Worth. Neil, thanks for calling. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate uh, what John McCain just said. But you asked about the Olympics. Right. And I just want to say that the first caller had it wrong. He was a man. The, sec- the second and third caller had it right. They should not mix politics with Olympics. Germany is the last nation in the world to ever say that, and the the people who really ought to decide are the Olympic athletes who who were unable to participate in the Moscow Olympics when Jimmy Carter was president, and then following that, uh, four years later, when Russia turned around and boycotted the L.A. Olympics, there's a lot of athletes that just didn't have a full playing field yeah. before they went. And that's really sad. Of course, they're also going to be breathing a lot of smog there in Beijing. But, you know, we're not really discussing the Olympics and whether they'll take place. We're assuming the Olympics go forward. It's this torch ceremony that's taking place uh, around the world. And certain leaders have already said they aren't going to show up. Uh, should President Bush show up? And should these protests... Uh, either be able to be successful in stopping the torch ceremonies or at least be able to make a statement that China has not really lived up to the hopes of uh, the world with regard to allowing uh, freedom in its country. Uh, Neil, are you still there? Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, You have a quick comment on that? We are just about at the end of the segment. No, I I, I see your point, but still, you know, we got to think of it think of the athletes and we want to make it the best the world-class event for them that's all thank you certainly and i think it will be uh ladies and gentlemen next up uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and uh, the question we're going to consider is are black babies the subject of a sort of a genocide they're being aborted at a rate much higher than white babies and another question that we're going to ask is what part does planned parenthood have in this are they intentional in aborting black babies? The answer may surprise you. Stay with us. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? No partnership. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? No partnership. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial or Satan? No partnership. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And the answer to those is negative. This is John MacArthur inviting you to a very special event. Friday night, April 18th, we'll be at Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie. Friday night, April 18th, it's an evening with John MacArthur. I love the fact he is called the living God. Don't forget, April 18th, 7.30 p.m., an evening with John MacArthur. And you, our faithful Criswell Communications family. 
Why? Just to say thank you for your faithful support of this radio ministry. From San Angelo or Texoma or even in the Metroplex, you're invited to this evening with John MacArthur. The Spirit lives within us. The Spirit of Christ, the living God, dwells in us. April 18th at 7.30, an evening with John MacArthur. A free gift from our family to yours on CRN. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Planned Parenthood Administration, this is Lisa. And who am I speaking with now? My name is Lisa Hutton. Lisa Hutton, what's your position? Administrative assistant. Okay. When I underwrite abortion, does that apply to minorities too? If you specifically want it to underwrite an abortion for a minority person, you can target it that way. You can, you can specify that that's how you want it spent. Okay, yeah, because there's... So I de- there's definitely way too many black people in Ohio, so I'm just trying to do my part. Okay, whatever. Well, blacks especially need abortions, too. So that's what I'm trying to do. Well, for whatever reason, we'll accept the money. All right, this is a recording uh, of a call to Planned Parenthood. It was posted on the website of blackgenocide.org. Uh, the caller stated, of course, that he wanted to contribute to Planned Parenthood for abortions of minority babies. These calls were placed in various areas, and uh, Planned Parenthood has actually been caught on tape accepting donations specifically earmarked for, uh, earmarked for the abortions of African-American babies in Idaho, Ohio, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. In New Mexico, uh, they said in response to this that accepting donations from racists was all part of good customer Service. And with us to discuss this is Day Gardner. Day Gardner is president of the National Black Pro-Life Union. Day, thank you so much for joining us. Penna, thank you so much for having me. Tell us about these calls. First of all, uh, who made them? Why were they made? What, what prompted this? And uh, what's your reaction to the response? Well, I think what prompted uh, the, um, the calls actually was what uh, we already know, uh, that uh, Planned Parenthood, first of all, uh, comes from a very racist background. Uh, it was started many years ago uh, by uh, Margaret Sanger back in the 1920s, and there was uh, something called a Negro Project, and the whole idea was to uh, eliminate uh, the uh, number of children or to, uh, through uh, by way of abortion. And so the Negro Project started. Uh, she is the founder of Planned Parenthood and decided that it would be a great idea to go to black pastors in order to give them the message that for a better life and to, um, uh, with regard to poverty and all those type of things, to it might be a good idea to eliminate the number of children that blacks were having. Of course, we didn't know about children what we know uh, now. The fact that these are, um, you know, everyone was told that these were just lumps of flesh. And, of course, we know that that's not the case, that these are uh, beautiful children uh, from the very moment of conception. And the thing is that, um, so it has a very racist background. Uh, Planned Parenthood, the, the research arm of Planned Parenthood is the Alan Guttmacher Institute. And um, it, it states that more than 90% of all abortion facilities are placed in urban and minority areas. So the thing is that this is a ra- they have a racist agenda, and it's necessary for us to realize that. And because most of us, especially uh, pro-lifers, are onto uh, the lies and onto uh, what they're uh, what they're all about, uh, it prompted um, these students to make these phone calls, and it proved what we already know is the fact that this they do have a racist agenda. 
very happily, uh, they will take money earmarked specifically to kill black babies. All right. Now, the Alan Guttenmacher Institute found that black women are 4.8 times as likely as non-Hispanic white women to have an abortion. And you've talked about some of the reasons, uh, poverty and such. But uh, they're also being apparently, according to this study by these UCLA students, encouraged to do so by Planned Parenthood. I want to play another one of these phone calls. And this is uh, in Idaho. It takes place uh, in Idaho, Planned Parenthood there. Let's go to that phone call. Thank you for calling Planned Parenthood of Idaho's administration and education offices. If you're calling to make a donation, please dial 1-3 and speak with Autumn. Your call is being transferred. Autumn. Good afternoon, this is Autumn. Hello, Autumn. I'm interested in making a donation today. Fantastic. What about abortions for the underprivileged minority groups? Oh, absolutely. We have, um, in fact, uh, wonderful, fantastic news. We just received a very generous donation to our Women in Need Fund. Wonderful. I want to I want to specify that abortion to help a minority group. Would that be possible? Absolutely. Like the black community, for example? Certainly. Okay. So... So the abortion could could be, you know, I could give money specifically for a black baby. That would that'd be the purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you wanted to designate that you wanted your gift to be used to help an African-American woman in need, mm-hmm. um, then we would certainly uh, make sure that that gift was earmarked specifically for that purpose. Great, because I really face trouble with affirmative action, and I don't want my kids being disadvantaged, you know, against... Um, black kids. I just had a baby. I want to put it in his name, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Absolutely. So that's that's definitely yeah. possible. Oh, always, always. So I just wanted. Can I put this in the name of my son? Absolutely. The name of my son. Great. Um, you know, he's trying to get into into colleges, and he'll be applying. You know, and and, uh, and uh, he just uh, we're just really big. Um, uh, he we really he's really faced troubles with affirmative action. And you know we don't, and we just think you know the the less the less black kids out there the better. <laughs> understandable, understandable. Right. Um, um, David, let me, um, if I may, just get some sort of specific general information so we can set set this up the right way. Um, you said you wanted to put it in your son's name, and you would like this designated specifically um, to assist African American woman um, who is looking to terminate a pregnancy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, Want to want to protect want to protect my my son uh, so he can get into college. All right. Um, excuse my hesitation. I'm, I'm. This is the first time I've had a donor call and ask, make this kind of request. Sure. So I'm excited and I'm, I want to make sure I don't leave anything out. She's excited. Uh, I guess he thinks that there are, at least his messages, there are too many black babies to take his son's spot at college. Of course, these are simulated calls by these UCLA students, but they do convey a message because these responses by these Planned Parenthood development folks is pretty shocking. Day Gardner is with me. She's president of the National Black Pro-Life Union. And Day, this is the week, of course, that uh, we've looked back on the 40th anniversary of Martin Luther King's death. What would be his response to this? You know, the thing is, I think that he would be outraged. I think that uh, it's what's really unfortunate, we don't have leaders like him anymore. Um, the thing is, or there maybe I think that they're coming up in the younger generations. And the thing is that um, these are uh, there. He was a man who who was uh, against any form of uh, 
any form of racism. And the thing is that, um, unfortunately, what has happened is that right after I heard these uh, remarks by this, um, by Planned Parenthood, not only by, by this one person, I mean, there were many phone calls made all around the country. And the thing is, so this was, this is uh, not just one uh place that we're talking about. And it, since I heard it, if I, of course, I was outraged and I thought everybody's going to get on board. We're going to hear all kinds of, uh, you know, people from everywhere saying how horrible, how wrong this is, especially the black community. I, I expected to hear from the NAACP. I expected members of the Congressional Black Caucus to stand up outraged. Um, I expected, you know, you know, let's Let's defund Planned Parenthood, which is an, a racist organization. Um, the thing is that it, none of that happened uh, as of yet. Uh, of course, you have, we have pro-life groups that are working very hard in order to, to do that. Many black pro-life organizations and individu individuals are involved in really uh, you know, raising the voices against this, but nowhere near the numbers that we expected. Um, and th it, this is something that's very blatant. And I, we just, it, I think it's, I'm kind of dumbfounded when it comes to the um, fact that so many are standing by the wayside. I'm dumbfounded, too. Here's another call that uh, I'm not going to play it, but it was to an Oklahoma-based Planned Parenthood, and uh, a staffer named student uh, Susan Riggs was asked if they would accept these specific donations to abort black babies. She said, we can definitely designate it for an African-American. This is just amazing. Uh, but Day Gardner uh, is my guest, and uh, you mentioned uh, defunding Planned Parenthood Day. And, of course, as you said, there are efforts to do this by pro-life groups. And Mike Pence, uh, congressman from Indiana, plans to offer an amendment to the Labor, Health, and Human Services Appropriations Bill in the next few months to prohibit federal funding for Planned Parenthood. And, of course, this is uh, important because Planned Parenthood has had record profits, and yet they get taxpayer funding, which is already amazing on its face. But with yeah. this new evidence, this may help this effort to defund them, do you think? Uh, Penna, this is something that's so important for people to understand and realize, that Planned Parenthood, at, for last year, actually, uh, they, they, ha they reached the $1 billion marker. Uh, for funding. I mean, the thing is, they, they made a billion dollars in the past year. Not for year. funding, for, prof, for for their income. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is, we have to keep in mind, this is supposedly, first of all, a non-profit organization. I'm sorry, a billion dollars, uh, that doesn't sound like a non-profit organization to me. Uh, <laughs> besides that fact, uh, they received more than 300000 I'm sorry, $300 million in taxpayer funds. I mean, we have to keep in mind that the federal government is is actually chipping in $300 million, more than that, to Planned Parenthood. Now, you know, I can't help but think about all of the people in this past year and, and even a year ago or so who lost their homes. <laughs> These are people, many people, who a few thousand dollars would have made all the difference in the world to these homeowners. Now, wouldn't that money be better spent uh, actually uh, put, helping to help people to keep their homes in these very difficult times? Wouldn't that money be better spent on the inner city schools, some of the schools that are failing horribly? That money could have gone there. That money could be going uh, to help uh, with HIV AIDS and to ward off uh, sickle cell anemia. And there's so many other areas that this money, my tax dollars and your tax dollars, would have been better spent. And yet our tax dollars, the federal government, gave it to Planned Parenthood, where these children are being aborted uh, and murdered, uh, killed horribly, 
viciously killed. Okay, Day Gardner, I've got to let you go. We're up on a break. I appreciate uh, you joining us. Day Gardner, president of the National uh, Black Pro-Life Union. And uh, we'll keep you posted on this battle over defunding Planned Parenthood. But next up, uh, we're going to talk with an author who says, you can hear from God. It's more than just uh, that still small voice. It's more than just what he says in the word of God. John Eldridge will join us next. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Our next guest says that God speaks to people today, just as he did in biblical times. And uh, he is known for pushing his readers out of their comfort zones beyond the safe Christian life that many settle for. Well, that sounds good to me. He's got a new book out called Walking with God, and uh, he is John Eldridge. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He's founder and director of Ransomed Heart Ministries in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This is a fellowship devoted to people uh, to help them discover the heart of God. He's the author of several bestsellers, uh, which include Epic, Walking the Dead, Wild at Heart, and The Way of the Wild Heart. And uh, he's also co-author of a book, uh, Captivating with His Wife. And uh, before I introduce John Eldridge, I'd like to introduce my in-studio co-host for the next two segments, Dr. Denny Burke. He's professor of New Testament here at the Criswell College. Denny, thanks for being with me. I know that you're looking forward to this interview. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Penna. All right. And John Eldridge is on the line. John, thank you for joining us. Anna, thanks for having me. All right. Tell us, first of all, uh, why you wrote this book. Do you think people have sort of a superficial communication with God? I think they're frustrated, for the most part, at least the, at least the Christians that I talk to. I, I think people want uh, a deeper, closer relationship with God. I think it's, it's deep in our hearts to want that. But um, either they haven't been told that it's available, or, or they haven't been sort of coached and, and shown how to cultivate a, a real friendship with Jesus, and a friendship that includes a two-way communication. Okay, well, prayer, of course, uh, it's it's kind of sad sometimes when we just kind of walk in. I guess you could picture it like uh, walking into the Oval Office to see the president and just sitting down and making a bunch of demands. And that is not what prayer was meant to be, is it? Or, well, that's a great picture. It's, it's also a horrible one when you think about it. Who would do that, you know? Or, or well, no one would do that, but we do it all the time in our prayer I, life. I know, I know. Or take something more intimate, just like a father and a, and, a, and a son or a daughter. You know, the father's longing that we be close. The, you know, we as parents would love to have rich conversations with our kids. You know, we don't want to just get home and say, how was your day? Fine. And that's the end of the conversation, you know, that... Prayer was not intended to be speech-making. It wasn't intended to be a one-way communication. Uh, that There is a give and take. And in John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I call them by name, and they follow me because they know my voice. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my guest is John Eldridge, and his book is Walking with God. And, John, I want you to get very specific with us now and to tell us how you hear this voice. I mean, in a sense, I think we've, as, as believers, if you have any kind of a relationship with Christ, you've, been, uh, you've experienced the prompting of the Holy Spirit for things. You've experienced God leading through circumstances, certainly through the Word of God, God speaks to us. 
but I think this goes beyond that. So would you please describe this? I'd love to, but let me first say, of course the scriptures are first. Of course the scriptures are our bedrock. And that's just so assuring to know that anything that we feel or hear or sense that would contradict what's in the written word, you know, we're, we can reject it, you know, flat out. It's just so good to have it in black and white. But I do think the scriptures invite us into something that, that is conversational as well. It doesn't trump the Word of God. But there's a lot of things, for example, kind of that the Word of God doesn't specifically address. My folks are getting older, and, and I know the Scriptures tell me to love and to honor my mother and father, but I don't know if I'm supposed to invite them to live with us now. I mean, what do we do to help them with their care? Well, those are the kind of things I want to take to God in prayer and, and, and make those decisions with God, with His counsel and His direction. Now, sometimes, sometimes when I'm sitting in my prayer life, I'll just be, I'll just be quiet, and I'll say, Father, what is your counsel here? You know, do, do we have my folks move in with us now? And sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'll hear uh, a thought or a word in my heart, in, in my inner life. It's not something I hear like you and I are talking right now. It's you do, do you hear it with your ears? No, no, no. You hear it with your heart. You hear it internally. And, and God will say, no, not, not this year. And, uh, and in fact, that happened, and, and we were able to go several more years. Where but they how do you know you're not just thinking that? Yes, this is so important. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, if you want to know if a thought is from God or not, you test the fruit of it. And, and of course, the first test is always against Scripture. I mean, God's not going to tell you to have, you know, an, an affair with the pastor, all right? That's, he's never going to tell you to do crazy things like that that are so clearly, you know, against Scripture. But Oswald also says, we have that principle from Jesus where he says, you'll know them by their fruit. You know, is the fruit of this love, joy, peace, you know, patience, kindness, it, does, it, does it bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Does it bear the fruit of God? Now, I know some very dear Christians who love God deeply, and they hear, quote, you know, very discouraging things inside, you know, accusations, you're such an idiot, you're blowing it, you know, wow, you really messed that up. You know, nobody really likes you. And I'm safe to say that is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that kind of accusation, contempt. You know, we know we have an accuser, and it's sure not God. So there's testing it, testing the fruit of it. But the beautiful thing about this, Penna and Denny, is that as we cultivate this over time, it, it's no different than, than any other relationship. I can recognize my wife's laughter across a crowded room. I, I just, 25 years of marriage, I can pick her voice out in a very loud audience because we know each other. And I think that this is something that we haven't invited uh, Christians as, as sort of a discipline to experience is being still before God and not just chattering away, but being quiet and giving him the opportunity to speak to us if he'd like to. All right, John Eldridge is with me, and again, uh, he's got a new book out, Walking with God, and he's also going to be uh, in Dallas on April 16th at Fellowship Bible Church Dallas at 7 p.m. If you want to talk with him, uh, also with me in studio is Dr. Danny Burt. Hello, Mr. Eldridge. How do you do? I'm great. Thank you. I was noticing in your book that you say that you are trying to teach others how to have a conversational intimacy with the Lord, and I'm listening to you now, and 
It sounds like you're saying, though, the conversation is different than, say, the way Jeremiah conversated with the Lord when it's, you know, he actually audibly heard the word of the Lord. Yes, yes. You're saying that you don't, you don't audibly hear the words of the Lord with your ears, but it's more like an impression that you get and that you have to learn how to distinguish one impression from another. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's very important. I I don't know any of the saints uh, in recent years, uh, you know, reading people like C.S. Lewis or Luther or, or, you know, Wesley, who describe an external voice. But, But what we're talking about is something that is internal, and I think I think impressions uh, is one category. People kind of use the phrase, I had a check in my spirit, right, that where you're praying about something and you just don't have a peace or a sense of a green light, you don't have an affirmation. I think those things are valuable. I, I don't think they are immutable. Or, you know, I don't think that they sort of trump the written word, but I think that they're important to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because what I'm after is in John 10, Jesus invites us to be followers. And, and what I found is that so many of us are making decisions. Uh, you know, we're, we're setting a direction for our lives. You know, we're choosing things, be, you know, from our kids' school to the church we'll attend to the business that we work for without letting Christ genuinely lead us. I want to bring Jesus into the details of my life. So if it's sort of a, a non-audible impression, um, what would be, could you describe to, us, describe to us some biblical texts that teach us to listen to God's voice as a non-audible impression? Well, just take, uh, I mean, what do, how do you understand John chapter 10 when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice? He says it four times in John 10 alone. He says, I call them by name, and, and, they, and they follow me. And, and, and what, what we have to also take into account here is that I know literally hundreds of Christians who hear the voice of God, and, and meaning an internal voice, and the fruit of listening to him has been incredibly biblical. People coming to Christ, people starting churches, going on mission trips. You know, we, we just took the gospel to Australia in December, and it was not on our ministry calendar, but in one of our prayer times, we felt, sensed, heard that God was moving us, prompting us to take the gospel to, uh, to an event in Australia. And it was incredibly fruitful. And, and so you look at the fruit of it, and you go, wow, that, that sure looks like God to me. Sure. I guess what I would say for John 10 is that Jesus was speaking to hearers who were listening to him speak in the narrative of, of John and, and Jesus was going and preaching in places and they heard him and he was just saying that his sheep would listen to him and fall, follow him. He would say, you know, like in John 15, you didn't choose me. I chose you that you should go and bear much fruit. He told his disciples. It seemed like the, the speaking though was audible speaking on Jesus's part to people who were listening to him preach. And it seems like that's why it seems like a, a difficult methodology. Cause in your book, you say, I want to, I want to make a deeper walk with God available. I believe we can learn to hear his voice. It just seems like it's important for listeners to see that the hearing you're talking about is different than the audible hearing that we see in the Scripture. Yes, it is different than that. But Jesus is still alive, and he still very much wants to speak to his people. And so you have Revelation 3, for example, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, this is after his resurrection and ascension, right? 
He's no longer physically present, but he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And actually, as you know, that's a letter written to the church. So he's talking to believers there. I've got to jump in. Uh, we are not going to end it here. John Eldridge is our guest, and we will continue with him and Dr. Denny Burke right after this. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? No partnership. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? No partnership. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial or Satan? No partnership. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And the answer to those is negative. This is John MacArthur inviting you to a very special event Friday night, April 18th. We'll be at Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie. Friday night, April 18th. It's an evening with John MacArthur. I love the fact he is called the living God. Don't forget, April 18th, 7.30 p.m., an evening with John MacArthur. And you, our faithful Criswell Communications family. Why? Just to say thank you for your faithful support of this radio ministry. From San Angelo or Texoma or even in the Metroplex, you're invited to this evening with John MacArthur. The Spirit lives within us. The Spirit of Christ, the living God, dwells in us. April 18th at 7.30, an evening with John MacArthur. A free gift from our family to yours on CRN. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back to uh, Jerry Johnson Live. Interesting conversation with John Eldridge and Dr. Denny Burke. The book is Walking with God. And I've got just a couple of concerns just uh, on the face of this, uh, John. And one is, uh, how do you know you heard right? Well, you know what's important is... We need to back up to our presuppositions. I, I, I can sense, Penna, that you and Denny don't agree with my take on, on John 10 or probably a number of the other scriptures. And we probably ought to back up and look at assumptions and say, do you believe that God still communicates with his followers today? And how does he do that? Yes. I would say yes, that he does communicate with his followers today. But the question is, how does he do that I guess I'm a little skeptical skeptical because I can't find a biblical warrant for looking for um, impressions in, as in, inerrant guides to how to lead our lives. I was noticing, like, for instance, on page 30 where you speak about 1 Kings chapter 19 and how the Lord spoke to Elijah with the still small voice. But even then, the voice that he heard was an audible one on, on the mountain. It wasn't. Now, how do you know that, actually? Denny, that's an assumption you're bringing to the passage. It doesn't make that clear. Except that he, he says words in the passage. Oh, and I hear words internally, and I know, I know literally hundreds, if not thousands. Of well, John, Christians. you didn't answer my question, though, because when you look at the Word of God and you can see it in black and white, uh, it's there. But how do you know that you heard him right? How do you know that you really heard God? I, I just I, I oh, need I think, you to answer that. Honey, it's so important. I think you test. Honey? You test it. Pen, penna. I'm sorry, I said penny. <laughs> All I, right. I thought, you tested against was. what? I mean, you, you tested against the Scripture. You never want to go and contradict Scripture, but we're talking about issues that the Scripture doesn't ad- address, like what you mentioned with your parents, and there are many others like that. You know, what do I do about this in my life? But, you know, you're asking God to, to tell you. How do you know you heard him right? 
Why does Paul pray in Ephesians chapter 1 that we would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and Mm. revelation? I I think we need both. I think we need wisdom where God says, you know, or you think. Let me say you think you've heard God say, take the family fortune and head to Vegas. Well, you know, wisdom immediately steps in and says, oh, good grief. That, that's, that's irresponsible. Don't step out on that. So, of course, we have wisdom. Of course, we live this balanced life. But we also invited to engage a living God who wants to speak into our lives today. And yes, yes, through the scriptures. But also, I'm very interested to know, Panna, Danny, what do you do with stories like the one I told you about taking the gospel to Australia? And the fruit of it is hundreds of people coming to God. Now, we believe we heard God say that. Did he speak to us or didn't he? Yeah, sure. Two things I would say to that. Number one, I want to affirm the fact that the Lord leads us and that he can do that in a number of different ways, using circumstances in our lives, using other believers in our lives, speaking into our lives, using the Bible. So I want to affirm that. I think that you and I agree on the fact that the Lord leads us through many different ways. What I'm trying to make a distinction between is is that when we speak of the Lord's leadership through circumstances or fellow believers or wise counsel, to distinguish that from thus saith the Lord, which in the Scripture it seems to be, especially in these Old Testament examples, or the example of Jesus in John 10, is, is, is an audible voice. So I would say, yes, um, the Lord can lead his people. I would just want to say, is that a a conversation that's going on. I, you know, I, you know, I know I went through a period in my own life where I thought I was supposed to be able to hear an audible voice from the Lord and it never happened. And, uh, wrestling with these impressions that I was having, but I, I, it, and I never could find in scripture a confirmation how to distinguish impressions. And I just don't see it there. And to raise those to the level of thus saith the Lord, I just don't think that it it works. Yeah, but I would affirm that the Lord leads. So in the in the example of your your trip, sure, maybe the Lord is leading his people. But to say that God spoke these words audibly and then to equate that with an inner impression, I just don't think that's how the Bible speaks about God speaking words. Well, let me clarify two things. One, we totally agree that there is no word being given today anywhere on earth that is the equivalent of the written word of god we both agree on that that these are not i'm not trying to say that these are equal things here okay so i let's be clear that we agree on that and we agree that god does speak guide lead move somehow communicate with his people so if we believe that and we agree that he still does today communicate with his sons and daughters and lead his people, then why would that preclude an inner voice? I mean, what is there in Scripture that says, but this is not available? Well, I think that that it's asking a negative, asking me to prove a negative. In other words, I think the Scripture prescribes for us how we hear from God. If you want to know the will of God, you must know the Word of God, and that's clear in Scripture. But to say that there's any place in Scripture that confirms or enjoins us to be looking for inner voices i just don't see that now the spirit leading people to do something that's altogether different but that at that point you're not talking about a voice so and, and, i guess that's my res- my response how does how does the spirit lead people denny well through a number of different ways um uh through the scripture 
He can bring other people into your life. He can bring circumstances, which he's sovereignly ordaining into your life. But to talk about speech from God, non-audible speech that's an impression, that I think it can be confusing to believers as to what their expectations are as to how to hear from the Lord. When they're looking, I think you agree with this. First and foremost, we should be looking for the will of God and the word of God. I think probably with the point of departure is, is that you're adding on a hearing a word of God internally, correct? Y- yes, I am. Almost yes, like am. almost like the spirit of prophecy, perhaps, or something like that. Well, I, I don't under I don't understand that phrase, um, so I have to plead ignorance there. But yes, yes, and and, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to unpack this. Sure. Today. Yeah. Uh, it's a great discussion. It has, you know, theological implications, and so it, it really does. I, I would say that God clearly is a communicator, and man clearly is a communicator, and that all relationship, all relationship between two persons requires communication. You can't imagine a marriage or or a parent-child relationship surviving without it. And so the very nature of God and man requires that there is some communication. And, and then how God gets that done and how that plays out, I, I think we probably do differ in some ways on that. Uh, and we probably agree on some ways. And I think we probably do. And I think some of our listeners would have probably loved to have called in, John. I hate to interrupt, but we are uh, bumping up on the end of the program. I want to encourage people, though, if they want to engage you on this, uh, to show up on the 16th of April at Fellowship Bible Church uh, at 7 p.m. That's the Dallas uh, Fellowship Bible Church. And... Uh, you can also find out more at walkingwithgod.net. Uh, John Eldridge has been with us, and we really appreciate you being with us today. It's been a, a good discussion. It was. It was good talking with both of you. And uh, tomorrow, Norm Geisler, apologist and theologian from Southern Evangelical Seminary, will join us. So you join us. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.